0: Thank you, Amy. All good morning. It's good to be with you this morning as we seek to dig into God's Word. And if you have little ones up to grade four, you'd like for them to be in junior church, they can be there now or you can keep them with you, whatever you prefer. It's good to be with you for your guests today. We're glad that you're here. We hope you've been blessed. Uh, so, we spent some time in prayer, we spent some time in giving and in singing, and now we're going to spend some time in the Word of God. And so, turn to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 2, if you would. Second Corinthians chapter 2. We'll close out chapter 2 today. That's our desire and my, my plan. God's plan for a healthy church is our study. You can see it in your bulletin. If you're a note taker, you can find there on the back some takeaways. You see on the screen behind me, they'll be underlined. That'll be helpful for you if you want to know uh, the important parts That, as I study the word for myself, those things that made the most impact on me. Those are things I share with you, and so I encourage you to, if you're a note taker, do that. I'll certainly write in the margin of your Bible. Also, let me encourage you to be in the Word every day. Uh, it is my regular encouragement to you to do that. It is the way that you grow. It's the way that you can become more like Christ, and that sanctifying work can be at work in you as you hold up that holy standard before yourself. Each day, you see where you need to be. You also see where you can give the Lord praise and, and honor and thanks. Uh, for all that he's done. And so that is part of your daily worship and your devotion to the Lord as you conform to his image. And so let me encourage you to do that. If you don't have a plan to read the Bible on your tablet or your phone, let me encourage you to grab a hard copy out in the foyer together in the word. Uh, That's the one that I use. And so let me encourage you to do that and just kind of work your way through. That'll give you an opportunity to be through the word in a year. And as you close out that year, just start again. Pick up in the date we're on now. A year from now, you will have read through the Word, and all the blessings of that reading will be yours as you begin to really put together in in a cohesiveness in your mind what the Lord has to say, and in the order that He had to say it, and much of His nature, uh, you'll begin to understand. And so let me encourage you to do that. Return to our passage this morning as we spend uh, the most time evaluating that passage. We're going to pick up 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15. And if you've been with us, you know that we are uh, talking about uh, insufficiency a key to being useful to God uh, we have certainly an over overbearing sufficiency in our own selves I think that permeates our culture thinking that we're good at everything and that uh, we have no need really of much uh, instruction we have an over uh, overburdened I think uh, opinion of ourselves Th- this kind of flies against all of that much like the scripture regularly does Uh, and so particularly in this uh, section we've we've I I have subtitled it uh, sufficiency in the word of God and so that's really where Paul is this morning as we look at 2 Corinthians 2 15 for we are he says a fragrance of Christ to God I'm going to be reading a new American standard you can find that in the pew in front of you or read from whatever one you regularly read from and memorize from and I'll give you verse cues for we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved And among those who are perishing, verse 16, to the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? That's Paul's continuing uh, kind of a mantra that you hear throughout all of his writings, not taking any credit unto his own self, that he somehow brings something to the table that makes him sufficient for the ministry. Who is adequate for these things? Verse 17, For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Now we saw last time that Paul indicates we are a fragrance of Christ to God. And we saw as we began this whole section that Paul is really referring to uh, a Roman imagery of a victorious parade. Verse 14 really helps us see that you can look back there if you want everyone around could see the people marching everyone around could smell the wonderful smell of flowers and incense and so as he brings that illustration into this understanding of sufficiency in the word uh, of god as a believer reliant on christ's power is made to be that aroma of salvation in every place like the roman uh, victorious parade uh, where he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests uh, the fr- in us the, the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. So Paul calls on that Roman victorious uh, parade and then says, This is what Christ does, always leading us in victory. And we saw a number of points that we won't go back to. If you've missed some of these, I encourage you to go online and, and stream that. You can catch up. But there's a bunch of just marvelous things to think about as we think about what. Uh, Christ does for us in your position but Paul adds to that he says not only are you uh, as as you rely on Christ's power being made the aroma of salvation in every place but we also saw that uh, those who find sufficiency in Jesus are made to be the very fragrance of God to Christ himself and so uh, of Christ to God himself it's not just people in the city who smell the aroma of victory the emperor himself smells it. So as the Roman victory parade would come in, people would rejoice. They're out in the streets. They're seeing the parade. They're seeing those who followed the general into victory. They're being honored. This is Christ's imagery for you as you do and rely on his power to do the work of Christ that he has for you. He has this imagery constantly. It might not seem like that in this world. Certainly, as you look around, you don't seem to, to receive the, the uh, accolade or commendation, perhaps, that you uh, would imagine uh, for the effort, but the fact of the matter is, the reality is, is that this is true, that your position is that you're walking in this parade, but not only is, is an aroma of every, to everyone around, it's an aroma of Christ to God himself. So the people of the city smell the victory, they smell it, they see the aroma of victory, uh, they see the, the marching, they smell the aroma of victory. The emperor himself sees the sights in victory, and he smells the aroma of victory, and of course that's the whole point of coming in, is to honor the emperor, and, and that's pointing incomparably to God himself. And that just emphasizes for us, and we see in number seven, as principles of those who are insufficient to the task of ministry, know that God is their most important audience. And that's where we finished up last time. God's the most important audience. And and as we look at these three verses, we can see that our audience of one is pleased to the extent that we are sufficient in his word. And we're going to really get into that today because this is a, a prevalent problem in our culture. And I want you to be aware of it as you listen to it, that you know that this is what's going on. Uh, as we see what Paul has to say. Psalm 138, verse 2, and there are so many like this. I mean, I could spend the whole hour just talking about the sufficiency of the word. Uh, But Psalm 138, verse 2 is a a favorite of mine. And it it has this to say. It says, um, uh, you have magnified your word according to all your name. I mean, I'd like you to think about that for a minute. You have magnified your word according to all your names. So as you think about the name of God himself and all the multiple facets that that encompasses and the many things that he provides through that name, and as you go through the Old Testament, of course, you see many names of God that, provide, that talk about a lot of things that God does. But you have magnified your word according to all your names. So at equal to God's magnificence in his name is the word he's handed to us. And I want you to think about that, and then I want you to compare that to what you typically hear from a pulpit or perhaps uh, you've seen on TV or whatever that goes on on an average Sunday uh, as the people are gathered together to, to supposedly hear a word from the Lord. And that really refines, I think, our focus when we're ministering. If you've magnified your word according to all your name, it's easy to look out at ones that are listening and, and focus on them and forget that you know, we really ultimately don't minister to men and women ultimately. I mean, we do, we give them the gospel, we give out the word of God, but it's God who is our number one audience, see? And as you teach that Sunday school class, you teach that Bible study, you teach that pulpit somewhere, you do that, realize that the number one audience for you is the Lord. Uh, you know, and our source, in order to be pleasing a to God, has to be the word of God. I mean, we want to be pleasing to him as we teach, but ultimately we can't be, if the Word of God isn't the source. And we're going to get more into this because Paul's going to be very specific about it. We are supposed to let it loose, and it'll do the work it was sent to do. Where? Well, according to Paul, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You see that? We're the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved, that's verse 15, and among those who are perishing. It's pleasing to God when it goes out among those who are being saved, Sodzomenois, that's the verb sozo, to save. Those who are present passive participle, the redeemed, being saved, that's how the scripture always refers to it. Uh, They've been justified, they're being sanctified, they'll be glorified. The word goes out to the redeemed, it's pleasing an aroma to God. It's also, scripture says, a pleasing aroma to God when it goes out among those who are perishing. Apolomenoi, present middle participle participle again, uh, describing the current state of the unredeemed. So the, the word goes out to those who are being saved, And continues to encourage them and and helps them to be sanctified like we talked about earlier reading the word and and eventually they'll be glorified and we look forward to that it also goes out to those who are perishing the state of ruin that's that's the state of the unredeemed that's how scripture describes them and they participate in the ruin that's that middle present middle participle and they participate in that destruction with every deed with every thought Uh, the unredeemed are in a state of ruin and they participate in that ruin with every deed, every thought that doesn't come under the authority of the Lord, see, and so their destination is damnation, the second death we talked about back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 so back to the aroma of this procession leading in victory, we saw in verse 14, the aroma of the parade comes to those who are entering into triumph, and the same smell comes to prisoners headed to prison or death, see but they have a different connotation of that aroma, look at verse 16 So to the one, it says, an aroma from death to death, and to the other, an aroma from life to life. So think about it as this victorious roman parade is coming in and it's to honor the emperor and the general is there and that pictures christ and those following who helped in in the battle that pictures all the church those who uh over through all the years have followed in in submission and in, in faithfulness understanding uh what they were to do and did it in the sufficiency of christ so they're following along so there's this marvelous aroma of of that see but to the prisoner of war the aroma could only be, have been associated with the fate of slavery and of death which awaited them. So, so we saw that sufficiency of the word of God, faithfully given out, is a fragrance then from life to life for those who believed, but a fragrance from death to death to those who refused to obey it. And, and we are turned again to a very obvious principle, and this principle eight. Finding sufficiency in the word of God allows the Lord to accomplish all he wishes to accomplish in the lives of people. Beloved, this is so important. As you teach, as you are participating in ministry, you understand that the closer you are to the Word of God, the more you turn it loose and let it stand on its own, the more the Lord has the ability, through that teaching, to accomplish whatever He wants to accomplish in the lives of anyone who happened to hear, okay? You're not limiting that, see, as we go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, we go through stuff that I would not pick out to teach, I'll just be honest with you. And I've told you that before, and I've told you in the middle of sermons. This is very awkward for me to teach, but here we are. And if I skip over it, it'll be really obvious. And then you'll say, "You big hypocrite!" That's what you you said. We always are supposed to go verse by verse. So we get to it and we teach it. But see, that gives an opportunity for the Lord to work however He wants to work. See, so it's not original to me saying, "Okay, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, we'll just work our way through it and make it preeminent." This is how it's supposed to be taught. See, and I'm convinced that God is evaluating. Catch this, beloved. The ministry that you do of the word of God, based on our faithfulness to it, and in that format, it simply has dual criteria: life to life, death to death. It just does its work that it's supposed to do. Isaiah fifty-five eleven. I mentioned this to you right at the end last time, kind of quickly as we were out of time, but Isaiah fifty-five eleven says, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding to the matter for which I sent it. That means that the word has to be taught, right? Because it's the word that goes out from the mouth of God that accomplishes, it comes, doesn't come back empty, accomplishes what he desires without, uh, and it doesn't come back without succeeding in the matter for which he sent it, see? And those who count on the sufficiency of the word of God have that great hope. But again, as we noted earlier, that's why some will never really be useful to God because they think their human wisdom and their antidotes and their experiences and their personality and their ability in oratory or whatever will result in ministry success in God's eyes, and it will not. And they resist the simple teaching of the Word of God, which is the aroma of Christ to God and to the world, see. Just like sufficiency in your own own leadership instead of Christ's leadership is the reason why many will never be useful to God. They think they know what they need to know, see. Instead of realizing that we are insufficient to the task and that at the point where we realize when I'm weak, then I'm strong, you've come to the point where God can actually go to work through you and you're useful. But many will never get to that point because they always think they're strong. And they think they're sufficient to the task of ministry as they approach it, see? And it's the same here with the word of God. And then Paul finishes verse 16, reiterating his focus. He says, it says, who is adequate to the, and who is adequate for these things? Who's competent, who's capable, who has sufficient human ability? And that's the issue, isn't it? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no one. Who has what it takes in himself to render service to an almighty God? No one does. See? Who has the ability, catch it, and discernment and wisdom to make the word an aroma of life to life or from death to death? Who has that ability? Can you see into the heart of the people who are listening and say, okay, this needs to be death to death? No. You don't know where they are in their walk. See, who has the ability? Nobody does. Do you have the ability to deliver on one hand and convict on the other? No, you don't because the same word that goes out can be delivering on one hand and convicting on the other hand. And the Lord's the one who's doing that through his word, the closer you are to the text, the better he's able to accomplish whatever he wishes in the hearts of people, see who has what it takes to influence the world for eternity. Who's building the church? What did Jesus say? I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who has what it takes to be in a triumphant parade? No one, and I don't even think I deserve to walk along there. How about you? It's Christ who does the work, right? I mean, if I think about the list of failures, they're pretty high. Nobody in his own strength, absolutely no one, is adequate for these things. But unfortunately, not everyone has this reliance on the sufficiency of the Word of God. So Paul says this, and this is our main focus today. Verse 17. He says this, For we are not like many, peddling the Word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Now there's a lot of important words here, and we're going to kind of work our way through them like we like to do. Spurgeon had this topic of sufficiency of the Word of God on his mind fairly often. Now this is, if there ever was a brilliant guy, this is a brilliant guy. And the things that he would say in his sermons, if you've read any of them, you just realize, wow. He struggled with this. Uh, Many times he sat in his study, I've read, uh, I'm sure you've read this, sat in his study and wondered what to preach. And his wife came in one time and says, do you have the word of God in front of you? And he said, yes. She goes, then pick a passage. As, as if that wasn't obvious. But he struggled, just like everyone does. See, because we think we have to somehow be super creative and have this kind of cutty-witty whatever and, and a catch and, you know, make sure we draw them in and then, you know, pull, as if we're doing any of that or able to do any of that for eternal purposes. Oh, you may draw the congregation in with emotion and you may get them laughing and you may get them thinking about all But listen, you're manipulating the congregation. You're not actually teaching the Word of God, see? Paul says we're not like many peddling the Word of God. So Spurgeon had this topic of sufficiency of the Word of God on his mind often. And, and he and others really have emphasized the fact catch this by starting teaching time, by reading a passage of Scripture, those who teach place the appropriate emphasis where it's due. You have magnified your Word equal to all your name. So, how should we start? I remember uh, I went to a, a pastor's conference one time, and um, a pastor you would recognize got up. To, he was a keynote speaker. And, and the stage was just all elaborate. I mean, there's just plants everywhere, lights on them, and, and it was dark. And he goes, first of all, bring the lights down on me, and bring the lights up where everybody's sitting. And he goes, and "He goes, I don't want to offend you. It's room like 600, 600 preachers in there, every denomination. He goes, I don't want to offend anybody. He goes, but I'll be honest with you. If you, come to church, if you go to a church, and for the first 20 minutes, nobody even reads the Word of God, you need to leave that church and go somewhere where the person who's preaching knows that God gave his word and he's got something to say, and that's the most important thing that you're coming to do. And I mean, that offended probably half the guys in the room because there are all kinds of denominations there and there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. But the bottom line is this, this. This is an important principle, and when those who teach the word of God start with the word of God, they put the right emphasis where it's due. Another guy you you well recognize, Pastor McLean Bible Church now, he's like, he said at camp this year, he's like, What if we got rid of all the cool instruments and all the nice sounding band and all the cool lights and everything else and the air conditioning and the comfy seats and everything else and we just came, would the word of God be sufficient for us to come and worship? Would it? So he's talking to three thousand teenagers. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with any of that. I'm not. He's just putting the emphasis where it's due. With the word of God draw his people, and the reading and the teaching of the Word of God keep them there, and would they be fulfilled in their worship of the Lord if we got rid of all the cool stuff and all the comfy stuff? And that's a a legitimate question for all of us. The priority is not on our own sufficiency where the teacher, in other words, uses the Bible instead of teaching the Bible. See, And this is the real problem in our culture today. We have what's called biblical teaching, but really it's just using the Bible. You're not teaching the Bible. You're bringing what you want to say, and you're just proof texting along the way. Just kind of, kind of grabbing some text out of wherever and just kind of putting it together to kind of form a sermon that you think is gonna be effective, okay? It's not on us, see, you know? If it, if it has, if he's magnified his word according to all of his name, then, then the sufficiency is on the words that the Lord has said. If, if if the words that we're reading in the scripture are true, then you know, the psalmist said this Psalm 119 verse 160 The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting The sum of your word is truth the sum everything added together equals truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting and when a congregation or a bible study group begins to recognize the priority of the word over and above the notions of the teacher or the felt needs of the hearer okay lots of stuff goes on every week in the news you read it i read it and we get constant reports from every every part of the of the gamut of perspective okay is that the main thing that we come in here to talk about you find, I don't, I don't go there too often. I mean, there may be certain things that we need to, to mention from time to time, but for the most part, is that the main thing? That's not the main thing. I would, I would propose to you that's not the main thing. When the congregation or Bible study group begins to recognize the priority of the word over and above the notions of the teacher or the felt needs of the hearer, this is a group that's in a place where they can grow. And as a teacher, when we recognize the priority of the word over and above our notions and our experiences, our cleverness, our creativity, whatever, then we're in a place where God wants us constantly learning when the word is sufficient and we know we're not then we'll never exhaust the resource right when the word is sufficient and we're not we're never going to exhaust the resource as a teacher ever and it forces us to always be studying and learning in an orderly fashion coming back to the scriptures with the expectation of discovery always seeking understanding and then presenting the word that way see you seek to understand, and then you present that word to your group. It's sufficient to stand on its own. It doesn't need our manipulation, see? And that makes sense because, you know, if, if we took an anatomy class, for instance, okay, and this is on my mind because my, my senior in high school has one and my, and my junior in college has one this semester. If we take an anatomy class, we probably wouldn't appreciate the professor picking out parts of sentences in different sections of bodily systems and then trying to piecemeal the whole thing together so it would make sense to us. So he didn't start in one system and stay with it. He just kind of picked out, picked out, picked out. little One word here, you know, two words there, one, one sentence over here, different systems, whatever, different body parts. He's just kind of throwing the whole thing together and then kind of presenting it to us and saying, okay, that makes sense, right? What would we want him to do? You know, work your way through. System by system, part by part, making the vocabulary and the illustrations of the book clear to us, right? And yet we have a whole generation of teachers that try to teach the Bible just like that, just like that first illustration, picking stuff out all over the place, a sentence right here, two words there, I'm going to talk about one word, as if somehow that's going to help the congregation to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've magnified your word equal to all your name. And yet, we have a whole generation of teachers that kind of pick it out and just say whatever they want to say. That's why Paul said what he said. See, you know, a whole generation of teachers that take the Bible and they force it into modern situations and they proof text and they use the. Catch this. This is my one of my pet peeves. Lord knows this. She won't even let me get going. I start getting going. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't go, don't go there. I understand. I'm I'm on your side. They grab a byline or a theme or promises outside the original intent and that becomes their emphasis I just want to strike my forehead I it's so hard for me to sit there because it was so easy to do it the other way just read the text it means what it means what does the Bible say what does it mean by what it says how does that apply to me not what does it mean to me what if you didn't exist because when it was written you didn't and it had meaning then and it still has meaning now. And we're not supposed to manipulate it and pull stuff from all over the place. And somehow that's a sermon that's going to benefit anybody. This is so common today. And it was common with Paul. I mean, we're going to see just a minute. It come, you come to the Bible with an agenda, and you hope to support that agenda. And that's the opposite of considering yourself insufficient and relying on the Word of God. That's the opposite, okay? And, to, and also, you know, to clarify, it's also not, you know... You don't come to the word, you know, and then you ask for a word from the Lord. Give me a word from, from you today, Lord, as you read the word. You know, as if, you know, whatever comes to your mind at that, pro, at that point is the takeaway. And I've heard people t- I went to this passage today, I just asked for a word from the Lord. And he probably laughed and said, just read it. That's my word to you. But what are they really saying? I want some special revelation, see? I want some special thing that's going to pull everybody in. I want to grab everybody's attention with a word from you so I can say, I read this passage today and I had a word from the Lord to you. As if somehow you'd be able to discern that it was actual word from the Lord. I, I don't know about you, but I don't have the ability to discern what my own wicked mind will say to me and what the Lord perhaps would say to me. I have, though, the written word of God, which I'm for sure that he wrote. And that for sure is what I can rely on, see? I can't, I can't discern whether or not that's the Lord telling me say this. Not if he didn't say it already in the word. Do you see what I'm saying? That's important distinctions to make. See? No? You have to be willing to do the hard work. And it, those of you who teach the Bible, you know this. You have to keep your butt in a seat until you got it. Okay? That's, that's how it works. And it's, I think that's with any discipline. Right? You, you can't just go up there and wing it. You shouldn't, right? Your students aren't going to come away with much. you got to stay there until you figured it out. And sometimes that's not easy, is it? Especially, you know, you Bible teachers, you know this. You sit there and you're like, wow, i got to get this. You know, you, you've, you've broken down all the main words, you've taken the verbs and you've and you looked at all of them and, and, you know, the subject of the sentences and all of that kind of stuff. You're just like, all right, I got to put this together. What, what was he trying to say? And you got to work through all that over and over until you get it. See, that's the hard work of, of Bible study. That's where the Lord says, I've magnified my word equal to all my name. That's when it begins to have power in the lives of people you're going to teach. See? You know, I'm reminded, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we, read, we went through this. Paul is, as he comes to that passage, I, I love this. It's very simple. I've spoken to you about it before. You probably remember it many times maybe a couple years ago. First Corinthians 4, Paul's understanding of his own sufficiency is really the motive to, to give this uh, instruction to the church. He's insufficient to carry the weight of the ministry, and that's always clear in everything that Paul says. It, he, he never makes an admonition or some kind of declaration where he doesn't say, this is from the Lord, or, or I'm sufficient in the Lord, or I can't do this on my own, or when I'm weak, then I'm strong. But in 1 um, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, let a man regard us in this manner, as you're thinking about me, Paul says, and understand that I'm insufficient to the task of this ministry, as so you think about me and regard me this way, three things um, in this sentence, servants of Christ, stewards uh, of the mysteries of God. So regard as that logizomai, present middle imperative, Paul says to the church, This is going to be required of you. This this is not my show. I need you to understand that, he says to the church. Okay? You know, they were always very, very disrespectful to Paul, always always criticizing him, always you know, confronting him, always opposing him and all kinds of stuff. You know, you know the trouble he had. We've been through it. This is not my show. I'm insufficient to the task of ministry. I'm discharging a job in the power of Christ. When you think of me, regard me as a servant of Christ. That's what he says, a servant. Huporetes, that's the Greek noun. A great picture of Paul's evaluation of himself. Compound word, hupo, under, the verb is areso, to row. You've heard me tell you this before. The word literally means an under rower or a galley slave. It's also used in Luke chapter 4, verse 20. He closed the book and gave it back to, here's the word, attendant, huperetes, and sat down, and the eye of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Every eye fixed on Jesus, not on the what? Attendant. The attendant handed Jesus the word, or the scroll, he read from the scroll, he handed it back to the huperetes, the attendant, and then every eye was on Jesus. Paul says, I'm insufficient to the task. When I give the word of God to you, when I minister to you, when I serve as as an elder to you, understand something, that I am the attendant, okay? I'm not in charge of this. This is not my show. Every eye fixed on Jesus. (coughs) Luke chapter one, verse one, um, the same word, huperetes, is used as servant. So Luke Luke 1, 1 says, servants of the word. That's the job of those who leave the church. There's the same word under rower again. It defines an even better, I think, for those who serve as pastors, you're servants of the word. That kind of points us back towards where we're going to be. Why? Because to serve Christ is to find sufficiency in his word. You can't serve him without serving his word, for his word is the revelation of his will, right? It's impossible for you to be effective without using the word of God. We've said this over and over. And being an under rower, being an attendant of the word, is to place it in the place of authority where all the eyes focus on the one who wrote it and not on you. And that's the opposite of what we see Paul observing around him in verse 17. He in verse 17, look there, first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, for we are not like many peddling the word of God. See, that's the opposite. That's someone who makes their own agenda and their own thoughts in the place of authority. And we can see more of that definition in just a minute. When Jesus called Paul on the Damascus road, that's exactly the word he used for Paul according to Acts chapter 26, verse 16. Uh, we see, I have appeared to you and appointed you. Here it is, huperetes, but here it's translated minister. So we have servant, we have under rower, we have minister, all huperetes, under rower, and a witness, a martos. So Paul uses the word here in, uh, to the Corinthians to refer to himself, and you get the perspective. Paul finds his sufficiency in the leadership of Christ, and he finds his sufficiency in attending to the word of God. Nobody gets glory for doing what they're told to do, see? Because he's a, he's a servant, he's an attendant, he's a minister, he's an under rower, so you're not getting glory for that, right? You just get in trouble for doing it incorrectly, like peddling it. That's where you get in trouble. And that second word, 1 Corinthians 4, one again takes the focus off Paul where he says this, he is a steward. He's a steward. As servants of Christ and stewards, and we're going to see of what in just a second oikonomos, it's the noun, oikos, house, nomos, manage. In the New Testament times, that word was a word that referred to a manager of a household or household affairs. Again, not in charge of the house. The one who manages those things underneath the authority of the household owner. Paul indicates, you know, I'm not coming up with anything on my own. This is not my show. I'm not sufficient to run this thing. I'm just a house manager. Now, we we know in general, all believers are stewards. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. I don't know if you remember, it says, and each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving. That's the, uh, that is the verb, diakoneo. That's where we get our word for the office of deacon. It's very closely related to our huperetes. As serving... And attending to here is really is, is the best way to translate it. So as each one has received a special gift, attend, uh, employ it in attending to, attend to one another as good, catch it, stewards, okonomos, of what? What's each believer told to be a good manager of? Uh, the manifold grace of God. So each believer is supposed to be a steward. You're supposed to attend to one another, Let's see, of the manifold grace of God. God has given resources to each believer in the form of spiritual gifts. We've gone through this at length as a church. He's given the word to the church. And when you use your spiritual gift in the church to attend to one another, catch it, beloved. If you want a reset point, you're not sure where you should be doing as you come to Berean on a regular day, as you're through the week, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in attending to one another. You want to know what to do? Attend to someone. Minister to somebody. Find some place where you can serve somebody. Okay, You're doing exactly what the Lord wants you to do. And as you're a te- if you're a teacher, attend to the Word of God. Be a house manager of that. Serve it. Okay? It is in charge. The Lord has given it as authority in His church. Use it to bring people to a place where they can be mature. God has resources to each believer in the form of spiritual gifts. And when you use your spiritual gift in the church to attend to one another, you're being a good steward. See? When you make His Word clear, showing it to be sufficient, you are a good steward. See? And as a side note, that also is a pleasant aroma to God. It just issues right back to our passage. And Paul said, regard me this way. I'm an under rower, I'm an attendant, I'm a manager of the goods God wants me to dispense to the house I'm supposed to take care of. What are God's goods? What are they to dispense? Well, this fills in the substance. This is a third important word here. That each man, uh, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So then it just gets right back to it, doesn't it? That's a great word for something... Uh, that was hidden is now revealed uh, the gospel was a mystery now revealed to believers Matthew thirteen eleven. Uh, the book of Revelation is that word Okay, that that revelation that mystery of God made clear and and that's what Paul is saying about himself. He's an under rower He's a manager He's the attendant of a household. God has deposited his word, his resources. Remember Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1 12, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we've conducted ourselves in the world, especially towards you. Paul says, I'm not generating what I say to you. This is the word of God. I passed it over to you as a steward. see. God has appointed me not to do what I want, not to give you my own thoughts, but to take his word and pass it out to his people. God's mysteries revealed to his church through his word. That's how they grow. That's how they're benefited. And and that word is given so that you'll be adequate for every good work. See, Paul said in Acts 20, verse 20, you know, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. How do you know what was profitable? how do I know what's profitable? How do you know what's profitable? 2 Timothy 3.16. The scripture is inspired by God and is what? Profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, in righteousness. That takes on the, that's the whole perspective. Everything about you, all of it, whatever position you're in and you walk with the Lord, it's going to take in all of that, okay? Teaching, reproof, correction, training. So why? Verse 17, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In the absence of that, that's why we have so many Christians that are spiritually malnourished. There, there are many under rowers who want it to be about them. And you know that they, even though they might say they don't, you know that they do because when they walk up, they don't start with the word of God. They start with their own thoughts and they use the word of God somehow to justify an agenda that they're trying to bring to the church. Let's see. I remember I was over at a, a guy's house, It's a minister, you would know him, and his wife came up to me and said, so and she knows I teach here, she goes, well, what are you, what are you teaching on? And I said, um, go verse by verse through the Book of Romans. And um, I said, uh, what's your husband teaching on? And he, she said, uh, asked him, what are you teaching on? And he gave, it was like six sentences, and none of it included a book or a topic that I could recognize from a book. And there was kind of a laugh in the room of the stark difference between the two. And I wasn't, I didn't ask, I didn't say anything. I was just there, you know, taking some snacks in and just enjoying talking to a bunch of people. But it was, to me, at that point, not judging this other person. They they have to do what they feel they need to do. But as I look at the Word of God and I see what is required, I would say not trying to judge him specifically, but I would say that he was way off from where he needed to be. Way off from where he needed to be. He was giving the church his own agenda. He had an idea of what he wanted to communicate and he was communicating it. And I would just say, beloved, this is so common. I need you to, I need you to be able to pick this up. Many underworlders wanted to be about them. Many attendants want to be the one standing up doing it, see, instead of just attending to the one who's supposed to be doing it. And many stewards are not taking care to give out the word. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians four two, this is the evaluation of how you're to do this whole thing. He says in uh, First uh, he says in 1 Corinthians 4.2, in this case, moreover, so in what case? Well, this, um, this case of being a servant, under rower, a minister, it's required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. In other words, if ministers are attendants of Christ, the attention is on him and what he says and what he wants, sufficiency is found there, and house managers of the mysteries of the word of God. Then their ministry is evaluated that way. Are they doing that? See? Are they doing that? Are you being a minister? Are you being an attendant to the Word of God? In this case, what case? The case of a steward giving out the resources of God that he supplied through his Word to be given to his church. Moreover, it's required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. And trustworthy just means he has to be doing this as his primary ministry unto Christ in order to be found faithful. That's the main thing. Just handing the Word as he gets it from the Word of God as an attendant to it, as a servant to it, as a, a steward it doesn't say it's required of a steward that a man be found brilliant. It doesn't say it's required or, or, or it's required of a steward that he be educated or have a great personality or be entertaining. It doesn't say any of that, see? It just says you're supposed to be faithful. He wanted stewards that you didn't have to watch. That's what that means. When you, in the house example, when you hire someone to take care of your property in your absence as you've given them the instructions, you want to be able to go away and what? Count on them to be able to do exactly what you told them to do. And what is that if you're a teacher of the word of God? It's to give out the word clearly. See? So when you appoint a steward of the house, you want somebody who's trustworthy. You can walk away, and they're doing what they're supposed to do. Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Accurately, how do you, how do you avoid shame? As those who give out the word? You accurately handle the word of truth. See? Accurately handling the word of truth. You want to avoid shame as a teacher? Accurately handle the word of truth. Sometimes it's super hard. Sometimes you got to stay there a long time. But this is what you were called to do, see? Not give your own thoughts. In order to be a pastor who fulfills what God told Timothy to do, and for a pastor to present himself approved to God with no shame, and for someone who, to, who will be that aroma of Christ to God, as they rely on his word, see... He'll have to find his sufficiency in the word of God. And it's so important So the minister of Christ, under rower, and he's a steward. It's no big thing. Just a steward and just a servant. He's a galley slave. He doesn't deserve glory. He just deserves discipline. If he doesn't, he isn't faithful to do it. See? Be not many teachers for those who are the greater judgment. Pretty clear, right? And so when we see 2 Corinthians 2.17, it's just so obvious now, see? So we got this, this foothold. Paul says this, For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. So here's the context. We're not like, and the, and the article is there in, in the original, we're not like the many. Pleistos. It's a superlative. In fact, Acts 11.21 uses the same word, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to God. We are not like a large number. That's how you can translate the word. We see it in Matthew 9, 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, we're not like plenty of other people. So obviously Paul's looking around in the New Testament environment, and he's saying, okay, we've got a huge problem here. What's the problem? Well, we're not being good servants. We're not being an attendant to the word. We're not being a steward of the mysteries of God. We're being a steward of whatever we want to say. We're not like that, he said. We're not like many. So it's a big problem in Paul's time. Guess what? It's no less of a problem now. And I would say it's much worse. And I'm not just talking about the Joel Osteens and the Joyce Meyers and Brian McLarens and T.D. Jakes and Rob Parsley's, Ken Copelands. I'm not just talking about those guys, okay? And those gals of the world. If we even partially understand the passage and ones that illustrate it, it becomes very obvious how the Lord feels about this and how big of a problem we have with people, even well-meaning people in places we recognize peddling the word of God. See? They are from verse 17, peddling. Kapel uo, that's that verb, present active participle. It describes people who are doing the opposite of being a faithful steward of the mysteries of God. See, the New Testament times, it described an innkeeper, a petty retailer. Kapel uo, especially of wine, a, a, a huckster, a... Um, and they do it to get gain, dealing in anything, willing to sell anything. Particularly with wine, they would water it down past the point uh, that would keep you from getting drunk to the point where they could multiply their profit. Because that's what they did with wine, that, uh, to be careful with it in the New Testament. Uh, they would water it down to keep you from being able to get drunk. But So I think as we look at that, we can see this ninth principle of one who acknowledges their insufficiency in the work of the ministry. One who acknowledges insufficiency in ministry are never going to manipulate the word of God in order to sell it. And, and we'll see this chapter again soon, but in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, there's another way that it is described. I'll just leave that there for a minute. I forgot to advance. But we see it, it, it described in another way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Here Paul says, um, and we're going to see this in not too long, so I won't spend a lot of time here, but We have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness, mark this. Here's another way to describe those who are not being a faithful steward and attendant, a servant of the word. Adulterizing, adulterating the word, the the word of God, adulterating. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness, or adulterating the word of God, the So, this is a guy, as opposed to the guy who would do anything to sell it. This is a guy who tries to make the word say what he wants it to say. It was used to refer to a decoy. So it's a snare, it's a hook. So he reads the verse, then he says what he wanted to say without consulting the verse again. That's kind of the idea. Instead of kind of watering down the gospel and making it more palatable, getting rid of words that are offensive to to unsaved ears, that's, that's the whole peddling the word of God. This huckster is kind of saying what he wants to say and doing what he wants to do and kind of using it as a decor. The guy who teaches the word uh, that way is, is not trustworthy steward, is not finding sufficiency in the word. This is the guy who uses a hook, maybe a clever story, uh, maybe an emotional plea, making the word appear to say something it doesn't say and this is, this is widespread and we need to mark this when it's done and we need to avoid doing it, okay? This is creating some kind of hook that the word doesn't create, okay? It's creating some kind of some kind of decoy. Something you want to say something, so you're going to create some kind of emotional hook to kind of pull people in, pull on their heartstrings. You know, appeal to some certain uh, sense of theirs. That's the idea. See, Paul says we we're not a peddler. We don't adulterate the word of God. 2 so Corinthians chapter two fifteen. God desires a fragrance of Christ to him among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That's what he's looking for. See, the fragrance of Christ comes from those who, First Corinthians four tells us, find their sufficiency in His Word. So they're trustworthy. You know what does trustworthy mean? It just means doing what God said to do. What did God say to do? Dispense the mysteries. So simple. You know, when the Word is sufficient, and we know we're not, then we'll never exhaust the resource, and it forces us to always be studying and learning in an orderly fashion, coming back to the Scriptures with the expectation of discovery, always seeking some understanding of the Scripture, and then presenting the Word that way. It's sufficient to stand on its own. Just present it. it. It doesn't need your manipulation. It doesn't need a hook. Okay. It doesn't need watered down so that people will accept it. Just let it go out and let it go to work, and then it will accomplish all that the Lord sent it to accomplish. See, and that is the fragrant aroma of Christ to God. And then the last part of verse seventeen, you know, w- when we do it that way, then it is. And here Paul reveals his heart. So we don't peddle, he says, but as from sincerity, but as from God. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. Three things that help us identify sufficiency in the word of God, as from sincerity, illacrenia, that's that noun. Its root has to do with examining earthenware in the sun before purchase sincere is is uh, the way that people would look at pottery sometimes a seller of pottery would take if it had flaws in it or if it had some cracks they would take wax and they'd repair it so it would hold cold water you would just kind of sit it there and um, in the shop and it would look good but uh, a prudent buyer would hold it up to the sun and see um, if you could see any cracks because the sun would shine through and so paul says we we don't peddle the Word of God. We come with sincerity. Paul says, this is his heart again, coming right back to, hey, take a look at us. Hold us up to the sun. You'll see that we are the real thing. That's the heart of Paul. And listen, you can examine us as closely as you want, and you're going to see that we're not peddling the Word of God. We're not coming with our own agenda to you. I'm not in charge of this whole thing. I'm, a, I'm an attendant. I'm a servant. I'm a bond slave. I'm an under I'm just going to give you what the Word of God says. I want you to grow. So uh, number 10, finding sufficiency in the Word of God reveals the true character of a person. And so when it comes right down to it, you can trust us, Paul says. The way we handle the Word should prove our character to you. We're just giving you the Word of God. And then he says, so not peddling, but as from sincerity, but as from God. That's the next one. Number 11, sufficiency in the Word of God means that God is the single source of the message, the counsel, the advice, the admonition, the correction, the instruction, or whatever you want to put in there, okay? Okay. What do I mean by that? I just says, for me, for you, for every believer, for the world, what he says has authority. It's to be obeyed. It's to be followed. It has the answers. If you've got some questions, you don't have to go outside the word of God because it has everything you need for completeness. Do you know that? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction. Training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's so important to understand this, beloved, because so many in the faith want to run somewhere else when trouble comes. I, I, I call it as I see it. Sometimes they want to run somewhere else because they won't hear what they need to hear. People say, well, I need to get, you know, I need to go get professional counseling. Well, if a professional counselor doesn't tell you X, then you wasted your money, okay? They're creating... The creating reliance on what they tell you, instead of just telling you how you can be adequate for every good work, and what the Word of God says is to be followed, and you can do it, and you can see these things. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit working there, and that between the Word of God and and, your, and the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you can be fixed, see? Or you can have your sin exposed, and you can, uh, you can say, okay, Father, what, what I've done is wrong, and I'm sorry, and I want to get on the road to to reconciliation. So, again, you know, sufficiency of the word of God means that God is the single source of the message, of the counsel, of the advice, of the admonition, the correction, the instruction. Every word of God is tested, Proverbs 30 verse 5 says. He's a shield of those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he'll reprove you and you'll be proved a liar. Those, you know, those reminders are all throughout the word of God, see? Every word of God is tested. They're all found to be true. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. How do you, how do you become complete in Christ? The word of Christ. The word of God is the single source for completeness. Wherever it is that you, whatever it is that you're struggling with, it is, the word of God is sufficient. Colossians 2, 8-10, through 10, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, Rather than according to Christ. For in him all fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and all authority. Uh, the word of God is not to be mingled with worldly philosophy. That deception, apete, that's the third of the trifecta of the way people misuse and misinterpret and misrepresent the word of God. So it is deliberately to mislead someone. That's what it means, empty deception. Um, It's to deliberately mislead something. Capel Uo, 2 Corinthians 2.17, he's a huckster, he's a peddler, he waters down the wine. You know, Dalonte's twisting the words to make them say what he wants them to say, and apete, deliberately misleading someone. Those are the three ways that it happens from the pulpit. Deliberately misleading, uh, twisting the words around, you want to say what you want to say, you just kind of pick out a word here, a sentence here from all over the place, or just kind of watering everything down to make it palatable. Those are the three things that you have to avoid when you're listening to teaching. You don't want that to be going on. You shouldn't be doing it. It shouldn't be happening in the pulpit where you are. And Paul says these things are very common. We're not like the many. See? Finally, the end of verse 17, where we're going to wrap up. As in sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Number 12, being sufficient in the word of God will allow you to stand up to sovereign scrutiny. Sufficiency in the Word of God lets you stand up to sovereign scrutiny. And guess what? Everybody gets sovereign scrutiny, okay? Not just the teacher, everybody. That's not a bad thing, because the Lord isn't isn't kind of a, a pop quiz that he hasn't gone over, okay? Everything in the Word of God is given to make you complete, and you're responsible to what? To begin to take it in. So, sufficiency in the Word of God, though, for a teacher, that means sovereign scrutiny. You're going to be able to stand up to it. At, and that takes us back to number seven, right? God's our most important audience. But that sovereign scrutiny is the reality for everybody in the future. Every believer, especially teachers, should expect that. Paul calls on that scrutiny right now. Paul says, we speak in Christ. Right dividing the word allows you to say that. Can, can you do it? Sure. We speak in Christ. If you're, if you're giving out the word of God, then you can say that in all, in all confidence. You know, Colossians 3.16, one of the favorite verses I say to you all the time, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom right and what do you do with it teaching admonishing one another what's paul actually saying you know we speak in christ in his person and in his power see you can stand at that scrutiny because you're speaking christ and his person his power you've magnified your word equal to all your name you shouldn't be ashamed to acknowledge that if you're rightly dividing the word of truth you speak in christ in his person and in his power when you confront, you know, as Galatians says, when you see a brother in sin, you who are spiritual, go and, and correct them. Watching yourselves also that you not be tempted. Remember? You, you, don't, you don't have to be ashamed to go to someone and say, listen, what you're doing is wrong. And this is the chapter and verse that I'm referring to. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this what you're doing? You don't have to be ashamed. Why? Because you're accurately handling the word of truth, and it's made for the completeness of everyone, see? And everybody needs that once in a while, and, every, and it happens to you. See? We speak Christ in his person, his power. And you don't have to be ashamed to acknowledge that if you rightly divide the word of truth. And Paul says, we speak also knowing that we are in the sight of God. See, we're not afraid to call him in as a witness. And we see Paul do that all the time. I call God as my witness. Paul is not going to stand in front of the Lord and say, a lie, is he? I call God as my witness. You don't have to suspect me. I just gave my heart to you. You know my process. This is what I do. However, you should suspect those who don't find their sufficiency in the word of God and who try to teach you. And there are lots of people like that. But if your sufficiency is in Christ's leadership, you just do the job you've been given to do. Okay? You know that Christ, he's going to open the doors. He's still in the, in the process of, of the Great Commission. You know no matter what is going on in the ministry, you're still to be a witness, right? All those things we saw as leadership, that comes from Christ. If your sufficiency is in the Word of God, unadulterated, unmixed, with no agenda, see? That, beloved, those things are a fragrant aroma of Christ to God. And that is where you're in a place of usefulness to him. Let's see. And next week, Lord willing, we'll begin chapter three, where we see sufficiency in the power of the gospel. And it, Paul just calls on again these very basic things. He's not sufficient. He's not calling the shots. He's not in charge of the show. It is the sufficiency of God to honor His word. It's the sufficiency of Christ's leadership, and the sufficiency of the gospel. And we'll move on to that next time, as the Lord allows. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to be in your word. We thank you for all the things we were able to do today as part of our desire to worship you. As the band prayed earlier, we so desire to be effective tools for you. We we would like to be used not in our own sufficiency but in yours. We prepare, Lord, and then we uh, do it because we rely on just what you have to say and what you want, and then we just follow that. And Lord, help that to be the realignment of all of our ministries so that we know... uh, that we're doing what we should as we're following your leadership we know we're never we're never out of the great commission that we have that job of sharing our faith and being a testimony to a watching world and lord help us to be those kinds of people if we're following your leadership we know that you still open doors we follow your leadership we know we're going to have difficulty and persecution in the course of ministry hardship that our hearts will be heavy that's not a surprise So Lord, we thank you today for your word and pray that you'll multiply it in our heart. Help us to understand, exclude the words of the speaker where I varied from what you would have said and, and resonate those things that are what you would have your people know. And then Lord, as we learn these things, help, them, help us to put them into practice, not just for academic purposes, to be like perhaps the Bereans who were more noble and studied what was said, but then not just that, but to go and do it, the purest form of scholarship and, from a biblical perspective, is to understand what the word says and then apply it. It helps to be those who apply. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people said, Amen.